Voice of Islam Radio. The conditions of initiation, bed, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The initiate shall solemnly promise, one, that he or she shall abstain from shirk, association of any partner with God, right up to the day of his or her death. Two, that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion, and will not permit himself or herself to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. 3. That he or she shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet and shall try his or her best to be regular in offering the Tahajjud and invoking the Rood on the Holy Prophet that he or she shall make it his or her daily routine to ask forgiveness for their sins, to remember the bounties of God and to praise and glorify Him. 4. That under the impulse of any passions, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of Allah in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, nor by his or her hands, nor by any other means. 5. That he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and happiness, adversity and prosperity, in felicity and trial, and shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of Allah and keep himself or herself ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way, and shall never turn away from it at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. 6. That he or she shall refrain from following un-Islamic customs and lustful inclinations and shall completely submit himself or herself to the authority of the Holy Quran and shall make the word of God and the sayings of the Holy Prophet the guiding principle in every walk of his or her life. 7. That he or she shall entirely give up pride and vanity and shall pass all his or her life in humbleness, cheerfulness, forbearance, and meekness. 
8, that he or she shall hold faith, the honor of faith, and the cause of Islam dearer to him or her than his or her life, wealth, honor, children, and all other dear ones. 9. That he or she shall keep himself or herself occupied in the service of God's creatures for his sake only and shall endeavor to benefit mankind to the best of his or her God-given abilities and powers. 10. That he or she shall enter into a bond of brotherhood with this humble servant of God, pledging obedience to me in everything good for the sake of Allah and remain faithful to it till the day of his or her death, that he or she shall exert such a high devotion in the observance of this bond as is not to be found in any other worldly relationship and connections demanding devoted dutifulness. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam radio station. You are listening to myself, Samar and Usman Manan, and we will be with you, God willing, all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, we are going to be speaking about uh, a number of uh, very interesting topics today. We're going to be beginning with the Global Summit. Uh, what chances does our planet have? We'll be speaking to some esteemed guests in that regard as well. Um, after the nine o'clock, uh, sorry, the eight o'clock news, we'll be speaking about the Gaia BH1 discovery of the closest black hole to Earth. Um, and then uh, um, we're going to be speaking about what we've gained in this year, what we've lost in this year, and how we can make um, our best New Year resolutions as well, as we are coming to the end of 2022. Um, and on top of this, um, there has been a conference uh, happening um, in Abu Dhabi as well. Um, and we're going to be speaking to our presenters um, and uh, the Voice of Islam um, management as well uh, over there um, towards the end of the show, God willing, as well. So there is a lot of uh, a lot to stay tuned for, um, and uh, of course, like I said earlier as well, if you would like to get involved in any one of these discussions, then you remember this is your radio station, and we do love for you to get involved. So do pick up the phone and give us a call at zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you, and uh, of course our t- uh, Twitter and Instagram handles b- uh, are both at Voice of Islam UK. 
Um, so yeah, but before getting into these, of course, you if you are familiar with the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station, you'll know that we usually begin our day, begin our show with a roundup of the news. So we'll be doing that as well. Um, but before uh, getting into that, even uh, Osman, how are you doing this morning? Um, I'm I'm just okay today. <laughs> Not that great. Uh, Where is it because start. of the the sudden shift in the the weather, or is it? Yeah, that that uh, definitely that. Um, but it's just you know the the cold temperatures. The, it took me a while to you know uh, get my car ready as well. Yeah, and uh, so it's just a lot more hassle in the morning. Yeah, exactly. usually I I, f- I forgot my gloves uh, this morning, and so when I was scraping off the 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 frost and the the <laughs> snow, it was it was quite quite troublesome to to say the least. Mm. But but yeah, what 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 are your sentiments? What are your feelings um, about the snow anyway? It snowed quite early this uh, this year isn't it the first snow that we've seen in 2022 yes yes and snow snow is good i think i like the snow yeah i feel like when it snows it, you don't feel as cold as when it's just cold and it's not snowing okay but yeah the snow is it looks nice as so well everything's yeah. nice and white. yeah exactly you know, all, all the rubbish is buried down the <laughs> yeah under this under the snow yeah no, no definitely definitely yeah it's it, it is um, it is uh, r- rather nice, isn't it, to see it. It, 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 it puts a, a bit more grace into into the setting, isn't it? You look outside, there's snow everywhere, uh, and it mm. just it just looks nice. It's soothing to, to to for the eyes to see, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like that's the only benefit of winter. <laughs> I don't see any other good thing about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is that time of the year in which uh, you just want to snuggle up in your in your blankets at home in front of the TV and maybe have a hot chocolate with some some mini marshmallows in, isn't it? Mm. Um, so yeah, what um, speaking of the weather, what's uh, what's it looking like uh, today and and for the rest of the week as well? Uh, so weather today. Um, Today, variable cloud and snow showers in northern and e- northeast Scotland. Sunny spells and largely dry elsewhere in the UK with high cloud in the south. Um, any fog in the morning slowly to lift and it will be very, very cold. Uh, tonight, <coughs> the cloud will thicken in the far southwest. A few sleet or snow showers are likely towards dawn. Snow showers affecting northern Scotland and eastern coastal spots of England. Uh, and on the other places it will be clear uh, from from tomorrow tomorrow morning there will be a few spells of sleet of snow may linger in the far southwest scattered wintry showers in eastern England and northern Scotland through the day sunny spells and dry elsewhere and on Thursday northern Scotland will see fewer showers with variable clou- uh, cloud here further south it will be largely dry and bright uh, with plenty of sun spells. Uh, on Friday, northern Scotland will see outbreaks of snow mainly in the morning. The rest of the UK will be mostly dry and partly cloudy. A largely dry day with variable cloud cover on Saturday, staying cold. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> so, of course, uh, similar to today, uh, when, when, when you do wake up uh, in the morning to go to work or to go to wherever you're going, um, make sure you d- do have that extra 5-10 minutes leeway um, yeah, so, so that you can defrost your car and uh, and clear up the the windows and stuff as well. Also, uh, an, yes. a short a short hack for someone mm-hmm. I use today as well. So what you do is you take some warm water, yeah, and put it in a plastic bag, 
and just wipe that over your windscreen. Yeah, no, no, I've I've seen videos of that. Does it? Yeah, it, it works. I, I use that. Yeah, I use that twice. Okay. Uh, but one thing I noticed is if if you use a thin plastic bag, you know yeah. the see-through ones. Yeah, yeah. They they tend to stick to the screen. So okay. use use like a thicker one, like a supermarket one, Sainsbury uh-huh. or yeah, little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that that's probably more useful. Okay. Um. And you yeah. said warm water, not not boiling not, water. Not boiling water. I've yeah. heard I've heard a few people did that. Yeah. What it does is because of the the difference in temperature, it can yeah. crack re- crack your screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, there was a guy. He he took a kettle. He yeah. boiled the water and it's like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Bo- no, no. Obviously, if you, if you do it straight screen. onto the window, then then yeah. there's a chance of crack. The windscreen just yeah. cracked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, I saw that video as well. But if you if you put it in the bag, um, still it needs to be warm. Not it shouldn't be too hot. Okay. It depends. If it's a very thick layer, you can use a bit warmer water. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, like it usually comes off with. Okay. Just a little bit of warm water. Awesome. So if you if you do try this uh, this hack uh, and it does work, or if it, even if it doesn't work, let us know your sentiments. Uh, you can tweet us uh, your images and your pictures at Voice of Islam UK. Um, strikes, <coughs> ice, tragedy, and Harry and Meghan latest newspaper headlines. Um, many of the front pages uh, carry stories uh, about the upcoming wave of strikes um, and the action being taken to reduce their impact. The I reports that NHS England plans to block book taxes, uh, taxes, um, taxis, sorry, during uh, strike action by paramedics, uh, paramedics later this month. It says cabs will replace ambulances for many patients in need of non-critical care. The strikes will be causing a lot of trouble. The Telegraph also reports that the government is looking at plans to use taxis to take patients to hospital during the ambulance worker strike. Will Quinn's a health minister, told MPs it was likely that the most urgent calls would be responded to with an ambulance, the paper says. The paper also looks at an immigration deal uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has struck with uh, Albania which is expected to be announced later. Mm-hmm. On nurses' strikes, uh, the Times says thousands of patients will be told their hospital appointments and operations are being cancelled after talks to avert action broke, do- uh, broke down. Uh, Health Secretary Steve Barclay said the government would not reopen pay negotiations according to what the paper reports. The Daily Mail leads on the heavy snow and ice that that brought Britain to a standstill on Monday. The paper says travel disruption will continue as the first of two rail strikes begin on Tuesday. The deaths of three children who were pulled from an icy lake near Solihull leads uh, several of Tuesday's newspapers. Uh, The Sun says one of the children, a 10-year-old boy, lost his life trying to save three others on Sunday. A six-year-old was critical last night, according to what the paper has said. The Daily Express also leads on the incident in Salihal. The paper, like several others, also carries commentary from Prince Harry in the latest trailer for the Harry and Meghan series on Netflix. Uh, tributes to the three children who died uh, uh, lead the front page of The Mirror. Uh, the paper also reports on the release of the new trailer for Prince uh, Harry and the Duchess of Sussex Netflix series. The Guardian leads with the government-commissioned report, which has concluded a decade of neglect by successive conservative administrations, has weakened the NHS. The health service has been left with too little equipment and too few staff, the report found. 
The paper's main image is of firefighters paying respect near the scenes of the of the lake tragedy in Salihull. Uh, Britons are being asked to reduce their energy consumption in what the Daily Star is calling Operation Brass Monkeys. The Financial Times says Microsoft will buy a £1.5 billion stake in London's stock exchange group as part of a 10-year partnership. LSEG said the tie-up would meaningfully increase its revenue growth over time, the paper notes. Mm. So as we can see, many um, of the front pages uh, lead on the de- deaths of the of uh, three children in a frozen lake in Solihull. Tragedy beyond words, quote-unquote, is uh, the Daily Express's headline. The Daily Mirror says, rest in peace, boys, and is among several papers to feature a picture of one of the victims. The Daily Telegraph reports that the government are considering block booking taxis, taxis sorry, to use during an ambulance strike later this month. The cabs would be used for so-called categories 3 and 4 cases, such as uh, when an elderly person has had a fall. The I reports that the taxis would be paid for in advance by the NHS or the government, but the paper points out the proposals are likely to heighten tensions uh, with unions as taxi drivers would be crossing uh, picket lines to drop off non-urgent patients. The uh, Guardian leads on a report which says a decade of neglect by successive Conservative governments has weakened the NHS to the point where it will not be able to tackle the waiting list for care in England. The report uh, by think tank uh, The King's Fund says the NHS has too few staff, too little equipment and too many outdated buildings. The Guardian points out that uh, the findings are especially embarrassing, quote-unquote, because the report was commissioned by the Department of Health last year. The department has been approached for comment. Frozen Britain grinds to a halt, quote-unquote, is the Daily Mirror headline, a Daily Mail headline, sorry, um, as it leads on the wintry weather. It says motorists were left asking where are the gritters after facing delays of uh, up to eight hours in the snow. National uh, Highways is quoted in the the Guardian as uh, saying it spread 960 tonnes of salt. The eye suggests the lack of gritters could last for some time because of staffing shortages in the HGV sector. Um, we do have uh, a lot to, to, to cover today and many esteemed guests which are going to be joining us throughout the course of the show as well. Um, before we begin our first uh, main segment, Osman, is, was there anything uh, um, specific which you, which you wanted to touch on uh, in regards to the headlines or maybe even within the newspapers? Uh, yeah, just uh, you know this uh, incident in Salihull with the three children—it's mm-hmm. uh, almost on every paper, yeah. and it's a very tragic uh, accident. Um, it, in the report, it also says that um, a pol- one police officer—he was trying to actually punch through the ice, and was trying to rescue the children. And that officer also suffered some mild hypothermia um, in the process, but um, uh, the the. His colleague is pleased to announce that he is he is doing well, um, and there's a fourth child who was in a critical situation. So that's very sad news. Very bad start for this winter. Yeah, I mean it. It just goes out to show that uh, we 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 need to be as careful as we can. 
uh, even if oh, obviously this was uh, on a lake, isn't it? But even mm. when we're walking um, on on the uh, on the roads and stuff, um, then we we do need to make sure that we are properly covered. Um, looking after ourselves um, and of course um, uh, walking properly and ca- with cautious uh, mm-hmm. cautiously as well uh, because of course due to the, uh, the the frost it can be very slippery um, yeah. and that can cause a lot of uh, damage as well mm-hmm. um, and also it's very dark it gets very dark quickly and yeah. uh, people you know usually mostly wear like dark clothes dark you mm-hmm. know black jackets and yeah. it's difficult for pe- for example drivers to see yeah. so if possible wear something light or like a if it's very dark and you're going uh, near fast road where something which which can reflect the driver yeah so you'll be safer yeah no no definitely definitely a good uh, good tip over there as well um uh, just a quick reminder <coughs> the topics that we're going to be going to be speaking about today uh we're going to be beginning with the global summit what chances does our planet have um we'll be speaking about the discovery of the closest black hole to Earth um, after the 8 o'clock news. And let's call it a year. What have we gained and what have we lost is the last segment today. And of course, there is a special bit that we're going to be doing on the the IF20, the, the sorry, the, the interfaith uh, conference as well. And that's going to be right before the end of the show, God willing. Um, so just getting into this first uh, segment, actually, um, when we talk about this, uh, the, the global summit, what chances does our planet have? Um, well, basically, what is this all about? Um, this month's UN Biodiversity Summit is the quote unquote best and last chance to halt and reverse the decline of nature. The head of natural um, England has said it will see nearly 200 countries meet in Montreal, uh, Canada, to agree on a landmark deal to safeguard nature. The chair of the government nature agency, Natural England, uh, said countries must come together and agree on an ambitious plan. Um, And uh, Tony Juniper uh, from there uh, says that this isn't just about saving rare species. Um, before we talk about um, this in a bit more detail with our esteemed guests, um, what's uh, what are your thoughts uh, on this, uh, Osman? Uh, yeah, so this is a very very important uh, issue. <coughs> uh, the you know our our planet, our global well being, and uh, this is uh, another summit which will be in Canada, um, in Montreal, and uh, as you said, over two hundred countries will meet and they will try to. You know, find uh, solutions to keep wildlife safe, um, because there's many species uh, nowadays which are going it's extinct, and um, according to their study, about, I think about 30% uh, of Earth's lands and seas um, um, are being protected. Uh, well, that's their aim by 2030. Uh, they are also trying to ensure that by 2050, a shared vision of living in harmony with nature is fulfilled. Um, um, they also this summit also includes that a plan to eliminate billions of dollars of environmentally damaging government sub subsidies and restoring degraded ecosystems uh, and the summit comes in the wake of what's in what's being seen as a disappointing outcome at the UN climate conference uh, cop 27 in Egypt um, <coughs> yeah so the, the wildlife uh, charity the WWF welcomed 
a fund for climate change fueled loss and damage that was established in the final agreement at COP27. Uh, the failure to agree to more ambitious action on emission reduction meant the global the goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius is slipping away with disastrous consequences for the world. Mm. Um, that was a WWF. Okay. Uh, we'll be speaking about this, uh, of course, in more detail and, to- uh, uh, and uh, 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 talking about what Islam teaches us in this regard um, in just a short while as well. But before we do so, we do have with us on the line our first guest for the show, Professor Richard Gregory uh, from the Royal Society of the Protection of Birds, RSPB. Um, he studied ecology at York University. A uh, DPhil um, in uh, epidemi- epidemiology and ecology at Oxford University held a junior research fellowship uh, in Oxford, then joined the British Trust for Ornithology uh, before moving to the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. He is the head of monitoring conserv- uh, conservation science at the RSPB, and he is also uh, honorary professor at the Centre of Biodiversity and Environment Research at University College London. Assalamualaikum. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Morning, morning. Lovely to talk to you. And likewise, uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you as well. Um, we're speaking um, about the chances that uh, our planet has uh, in regards to especially the Global Summit as well. Um, but before we do so, could you tell us and our listeners a little bit uh, about what CBD is um, and the role of uh, COP15 as well, please? Yes, the, the CBD is the Convention on Biological Diversity, and, and it's really a, a global agreement of around 200 countries and territories. You know, all of the countries of the world have come together to develop this sort of plan for nature, and it's a plan for nature recovery, really. Uh, CBD is, is the organisation that pulls that together, and, and as you mentioned now, we have the 15th meeting of, of the CBD, um, which is a really momentous meeting. It's coming together to plan, hopefully, you know, hopefully a really ambitious um, a, a pr- um, set of targets to take us forward. A plan for nature for the next decade, for the next few decades and century, really, which, which could, um, I mean, this is dramatic, but it could really seal the fate of nature going forward. Can we save our species and our ecosystems and our planet? Can we save nature? Uh, and this meeting is critical. And we're kind of halfway through that meeting now, and everything is to be decided. You know, all the big global leaders will be heading towards Montreal, where the meeting's being held in the next sort of week. Uh, and big decisions are going to be made. And those decisions will affect people. You know, everybody listening to this program will be affected by it. Thank you. Uh, would you also kindly advise our listeners on uh, what is the purpose to save our nature? <laughs> Yeah, I think that, that's, a, that's a really good question. But biodiversity, it, it, it's, uh, first of all, perhaps explain what that really means to us and then how it means something in our lives. So biodiversity is, is the variety of all life on Earth. You know, it's only uh, the organisms, the, the animals, the plants, the microorganisms, you know, the fungi. It, it's all those individual organisms living together in communities, ecosystems, the oceans and the forests and the deserts. Uh, in our farmland in cities that put together is what biodiversity is it's mm-hmm. the volume of, of life on earth and and why that matters is that although many people might not really realize this biodiversity kind of nature 
nature provides all sorts of uh, contributions to our lives from the kind of spiritual side of, of you know uh, our well-being and our quality of life to have wildlife rich wildlife around us but it but it more more kind of in a utilitarian sense it provides such important functions for us you know to 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 supply healthy food to us on a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. to, to help uh, regulate our climate you know the, the, the pollinating uh, bees and insects are, are pollinating all our crops um, you know it's providing our medicines that we rely on to live our lives so you know that the biodiversity uh, and this agreement in Montreal which might seem distant from people it, it is sort of uh, providing the basis for our planetary health you know we only have one planet uh, yeah. and we rely on it so much that we really need to protect it and, and that's why the RSPB and the other organizations the conservation organizations and ac- academics are saying we must have really ambitious smart targets uh, at COP15 at the biodiversity the nature uh, COP because you, as you mentioned you know we came out of a climate COP with quite weak uh, ambitions there and weak outcomes so we want something mm-hmm. really strong if we can for biodiversity yes definitely and what what is the RSPB doing to help save nature well we we have a team of people out there at Montreal you know helping with the negotiations there and doing the best we can and you know, I'm part of that sort of delegation as well so we're specifically working with lots of colleagues uh, BirdLife International and, and others across across the globe actually to try and make that uh, to, to make the outcomes as, as, as you know, strong as they can be but in terms of RSPB we're a sort of a very big UK charity we have over a million members and we'd love more members and and we're doing essentially our work around, uh, revolves around uh, the work I'm involved in you know the science it's about saving species it's about places you know protecting really important places for wildlife it's about connecting to people, you know, uh, thinking about nature connection and why it matters to people. And it's then about kind of influencing the world through policy and advocacy. So so we, we do that, we act and we influence mm-hmm. and, and we work in partnership with, with, you know, a whole range of different partners to try and achieve our goals. Uh, and we're, we're very keen to sort of empower people and, and, you know, kind of uh, talk more about nature and why it's important for people to understand that. Great. Thank you very much. It was lovely speaking to you and uh, thank you for um, joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. That was Professor Richard Gregory um, from the RSPB, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. Um, he study, um, studied ecology at York uh, University. Um, epidemiology and ecology at Oxford University held a junior research fellowship in Oxford uh, then joined the British Trust for Ornithology before moving to the RSPB Um, he is the head of monitoring conservation science at the RSPB as well um, and also honorary professor at the Centre for Biodiversity and Environment Research at University College London Um, We're going to be going straight to our next guest uh, for the show, Professor Cecilia Tortajada, uh, who holds the chair of uh, Professor in Practice in Environmental Innovation School of Interdisciplinary Studies in the University of Glasgow um, and adjunct senior research fellow, Institute for Environment and Sustainability, Lee Kuan Yew uh, School of uh, Public Policy, National uh, University of Singapore, 
She is editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Water Resources Development, associate editor of uh, Water International and member of the editorial board of Journal of uh, Natural Resources Policy Research, Urban Planning and Transport Research Journal um, and the International Journal of Water Governance, co-editor of Water Resources Development and Management book series, Nature Springer, and member of the series advisory board, Springer Briefs in Earth Sciences, Geography and Earth System Sciences as well. Um, Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation to be with all of you today. You're welcome and thank you for for joining us, for being with us uh, to speak about this very important topic. Um, Professor uh, Celia, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, would you kindly explain the impact of uh, climate change on the environment and biodiversity, particularly uh, water security? The main impacts of climate change are in terms of temperature and also in terms of more rain or less rain. And this translates in floods. Talking about water, this translates in floods, droughts. We also know about the sea level rising. We know shrinking uh, ice fields. And this in turn translates in more water that we can use or less water that we can use. Every time we have floods, our waters get contaminated. When the uh, level of the sea rises, land and also water inland gets contaminated because of salts. If there are droughts, the more intense they are, the more prolonged they are, we have less water in the reservoirs as well as in the surface water bodies such as rivers or lakes or wetlands and also in groundwater. So it has a very big impact. And this directly affects biodiversity. Our uh, uh, trees, our environment, mm. they have less water from where to get the, 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 the resources they need to, to thrive. And this includes from commercial crops to the wonderful savannas. So it's more of a natural environment, but also that all that environment on which all of us depend for food and also for feed and for fuel. Mm, thank you. And uh, could you tell us what uh, desalination is? Uh, is it the only method for obtaining clean water resources in the future? Well, desalination is the process to remove the salt from the, uh, the sea water. And many countries use it in the uh, Gulf countries, also mm-hmm. in Australia, United States. We have a plants in Mexico, Singapore. So this is a way to produce clean water, but it's not the only one. And looking towards the future, it will not be the only one. Mm-hmm. One is desalination, of course, but another one, which has proven to be an excellent means to have uh, clean water, is recycling wastewater, wastewater from domestic use. And it is treated to a level on which it can be used again for non-potable uses, like for uh, irrigation, for industrial purposes, but also for potable uses when it is clean at a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. It is also used, for example, in Singapore, in Taiwan, for the superconductor industry. So we have the wastewater that we produce all the time, and that has an enormous potential. And there is a lot of research and, and development on how to make wastewater a treatment more efficient from the point of view of energy, so that you use less energy, mm-hmm. and also to make sure that the water will be clean, will be pure, and there won't be any impacts in terms of uh, human and environmental health. Mm-hmm. Great. And uh, 
how would you advise our listeners to reduce the climate impact of our water usage? Well, in two ways. One of these is by using less water, and the other one is by using less energy. We need energy to pump water from rivers, lakes, or from the aquifers. We also need energy to treat the water, to distribute it, and then to treat the wastewater. So mm-hmm. if we use less water by uh, directly, we are using less energy. If we use less hot water, we are using less energy. And that has an enormous impact, not only because of all the CO2 that the use of energy produces, but also mm-hmm. because you are conserving your resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, what advice would you have for for this winter? Because people are going to need hot water. What what can they do? It is, and this this winter is a very difficult situation. Uh, the same way that it's a very difficult situation for people who don't have resources in other parts of the world, and it is. It is a matter of conservation, but how mm-hmm. much can you conserve if you already are strained? And this is basically a, a, you put things in a, in a balance. So do you have to, to cook? You cook and you use the energy. And do you use the energy you, you require? And you, do you need hot water? Will you use it? It's only a matter of conservation. It's a matter of not wasting. But people mm-hmm. shouldn't be deprived from using what they need. Definitely. Thank you very much. Uh, it was very nice speaking to you, Professor, and I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was Professor Cecilia Tortajada, uh, who holds the Chair of Professor in Practice in Environmental Innovation, School of Interdisciplinary Studies in University of Glasgow. <clears throat> Um, and adjunct senior research fellow Institute for Environment and Sustainability, Lee Kwan Yu uh, School of Public Policy, National University of Singapore. Um, and she was sharing her thoughts with us in regards to this very important uh, topic today. We're going to be going straight to our next guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Lisa Chilton from uh, the NBN, National Biodiversity Network. Um, Inspired to pursue a career in conservation, she trained uh, as an ecologist specializing in marine biodiversity, the role of a marine ranger, um, and still her best ever job title. For Dorset uh, County Council was followed by 12 happy years with the Wildlife Trust. She delivered a fantastic range of marine projects and events, successfully lobbied for the Marine and Coastal Access uh, Act and managed education, uh, public engagement and fundraising teams. She then spent five years at the University of Aberdeen honing her fundraising skills before having the privilege of taking up the role of CEO at the NBN Trust. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and thank you for for being with us. Um, we're we're speaking about, of course, a very important topic, uh, as you're aware. And the first question that we wanted to ask you was, what are marine ecosystems, and what will happen if they if they are damaged? What is sort of the impact of the offshore industry on uh, marine habitats um, and wildlife? Marine ecosystems are the different marine environments around the world and the communities of plants and animals that live in them. For example, here in the UK, we have rocky reefs and undersea caves, kelp forests, 
underwater sandbanks, really a huge range of undersea habitats that, you know, for those of us looking out across the waves, you just might not imagine the enormous diversity that there is there. And they're home to animals such as dolphins and seahorses and corals, as well as countless anemones and worms and sponges. You know, it's a really, really diverse and exciting and, and, and vibrant undersea environment. But a healthy marine environment is also our life support system. It's absolutely critical to human life. At least half of all the oxygen we breathe comes from the sea. It's made by tiny algae and bacteria. Um, Three billion people worldwide rely on wild or farmed seafood as their primary source of protein. Ocean currents drive our weather and climate. And sea creatures such as sponges are providing new drugs um, for medicine. So, you know, the marine environment is absolutely integral to human life on Earth as well. It is our life support system. Amazing. Uh, would you like to tell us what your um, role as marine ranger entailed? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I say that marine ranger is, was still my favourite job title. It was an amazing role. Um, as you said, I was working with Dorset County Council. I was working with an amazing group of volunteers on the Dorset coast, and we were looking out for the health of the marine environment. So we were studying the local dolphins that were seen regularly along the coast. Mm -hmm. We were diving um, and looking at the local marine habitats and wildlife. And we were most of all exciting local people about the sea life and the need to protect it. So we were doing work with school children, with uh, the local community, with tourists to the Dorset coast and highlighting just how important the marine environment is. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And could you also tell our listeners how to protect and restore marine ecosystems? Well, the great thing is that anything, pretty much anything you do for the environment is also good for the sea. Mm -hmm. So you'll be familiar with the need to reduce, reuse, recycle, so you know, limit our consumption and reuse things, reduce plastic waste. You know, I think yes. most people are aware these days of the huge problem of plastic waste in the sea. Reducing your energy consumption where you can, although, you know, I, I heard the, the previous um, guest and Obviously, there are limits there. Choosing sustainable seafood, and it's and if you can, supporting charities that protect the environment. Mm -hmm. But you can also get directly involved. So, volunteering, taking part in a, a beach clean or a, a sea life survey, and the charity that I work for now, the NBN Trust, National Biodiversity Network Trust, um, manages an app that you can use to record all the wildlife that you see around you. Now, that could be on the coast, mm -hmm. or it could be um, in your garden or a local park or on your street. And the app is called iNaturalist UK. And you can download it, or you can go onto the iNaturalist UK website. And just by going out and taking photos of the wildlife around you and uploading it, you can actually contribute really valuable data that can help protect UK environment, including our seas. And that's the role of the NBN Trust. We're about helping people collect data that actually is going to help um, organisations make better decisions about the environment. So we'd really encourage people to get out there, to use iNaturalist um, and to share, gather and share information that can help protect our wildlife. And you don't need to know what, what animal it is if you're taking pictures. You just need a picture? You don't. 
iNaturalist has artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and it will make suggestions as to what you've seen. And then it's, it's a social media type app. So then other people oh. will jump onto your comments and say, oh, yes, that is a um, lesser black bat girl or that is <laughs> um, a hedgehog, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Or, oh, no, we think it's actually this rather than that. So it's really helpful community. And the key thing is that you're having fun and also that it's collecting information that will help the natural world survive and recover. Mm-hmm. And uh, since uh, you, you've been doing some diving, you were a marine ranger, I wanted to ask about your thoughts uh, if you've seen the documentary Blue Planet. Yes. Yes, of course. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. I'm, I've always loved the sea. And mm-hmm. I think I feel very lucky to have been able to dive and to experience it firsthand. But I'm, you know, I'm really, really passionate about um, the sea life that we have, the the whales and dolphins, seahorses, the corals, and just sharing with everyone my excitement (laughs) for the amazing life that we have, including around the UK. Because, you know, you'll look out over, you might go to the coast, you look out over UK seas on, say, a grey day, and the sea looks a bit murky and dark, and you can't imagine that there's anything of value in there, really. But actually Mm -hmm. dip below the surface and the seas around the UK are extraordinary and they're every bit as important as, you know, the the coral reef and crystal blue seas that, you know, you see in in a documentary like Blue Planet. Well, I can only imagine, like, just looking at the documentary from from the TV, it looks amazing, but uh, I can just imagine, I can't imagine, I mean, your your own... uh, experience when you are down there yourself you know seeing this with your own eyes um, it's, it's amazing yeah but you know you don't have to dive you can snorkel you can just go for a swim with a pair of goggles on and you will start to see start to notice the wildlife around you and see that actually there's a huge amount beneath the waves around the uk um mm-hmm. and it's you know every bit is important that we protect and look after that we get more protected areas in the sea we all take part in helping our oceans to uh, thrive and recover. Mm-hmm. And doesn't it get dangerous with the sharks? Or... Um, in the UK, we only have uh, quite small sharks, with the mm-hmm. exception of the basking shark, which is, eats plankton and so is, is no risk, um, although it's the second largest fish in the sea, and, and we do get it around the UK. But no, you know, we are far more of a threat to sea mm-hmm. life than sea life is to us. And yeah. sadly, you know, our seas are not in a very healthy state and we all need to try and do more to help them recover. Great. Thank you very much. It was really, really nice speaking to you. Uh, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you. You too. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was uh, Lisa Chilton from uh, the NBN National Biodiversity Network, um, <clears throat> sharing her thoughts with us. Inspired to pursue a career in conservation, she trained as an ecologist, uh, specialising in marine biodiversity. The role of marine ranger, uh, like you heard, uh, still her best ever job title uh, for Dorset County Council, was followed by twelve happy years with the Wildlife Trusts. Uh, She delivered a fantastic range of marine projects and events, successfully lobbied for the Marine and Coastal Access uh, Act, 
and uh, managed education, public engagement and fundraising teams. She then spent five years at the University of Aberdeen honing her fundraising skills before having the privilege of taking up the role um, at uh, of, of CEO at the NBN Trust. Um, <clears throat> she was th- uh, sharing her thoughts with us, especially um, in regards to uh, marine habitats, uh, wildlife as well, um, and uh, how we uh, um, are more of a threat to to the, the fish and to the animals within the sea um, than they are to us. And um, mm. I mean, even speaking about her diving experiences and other such things, it just goes to show how beautiful um, the world really is, isn't it? I mean, we see from a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he is beautiful and he loves beauty as well. Mm. And of course, that is why he has created the world in such a harmonious, uh, peaceful and beautiful way, uh, which uh, if we if we look at it and ponder upon it properly, then we will see all the bounties that God Almighty has bestowed upon us, showered upon us. Um, and it, it really is um, an amazing spectacle to see, isn't it? And that's why it's our duty as trustees um, uh, and, inha- and as inhabitants of this world that we need to look after um, this creation of God Almighty in the best possible manner. It's not uh, right for us to... Um, we spoke about plastics as well uh, the, and the problems that we're seeing within the sea with straws and other such uh, uh, plastic items as well and how it's such a threat to to the, to the inhabitants of the sea. Um, it's it's essential for us to actually look after these things rather than make things worse, um, and and I think that's a, that is the take home message, especially um, for for this topic, uh, wouldn't you think? Yes, definitely. Um, I was speaking about this documentary Blue Planet. I watched it, and uh, you know, it was I was just amazed. There's you you go deep deep down the sea. Yeah, you could, there's a point that. Not even light can, you know, go that deep. Yeah. And uh, over there, um, so so the the researchers and the camera team went all the way down there and, you know, looked at the animals, the fish. uh, And you you can just imagine, you know, these documentaries, they take years to be filmed and edited. So they must have been down there for a very, very long time. And you see there's fish... uh, you know how you were saying that God Almighty is beautiful and He loves beauty. He He has also created everything uh, um, needed for a place. For example, very deep down in the sea, there's no light, so there are fish which which communicate uh, through light. Yeah. So you see the fish going around, and they have they have like um, light emitting from them, mm-hmm. and different uh, patterns of blinking. And in this way, they communicate with each other because there's no light to see. So God Almighty gave them, you know, put like a light bulb in the fish for it to communicate and uh, go about its life. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we hear uh, uh, so often that um, the world was created uh, by chance or by accident. Um, and it's it really is amazing uh, to even uh, to, to to say that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm astonished uh, as to how uh, people can can uh, think or say <laughs> that, because when I think about an accident, 
um, what I think about or what the, the picture which automatically comes uh, into my mind is um, a let's say a, a car crash there's windows yeah. broken there's people injured there's um, people just uh, standing uh, bystanders watching and looking at what's happening mm-hmm. and trying to help out and things of that sort but when it's chaos. exactly but but when i think about this world and like you mentioned the examples of the fish who have uh, light emitting from them i mean <clears throat> God Almighty, according to the needs of uh, of every one of us, um, and by us I don't just mean um, mankind, but even animals as well. They are they are they are given the the capabilities and the abilities to do whatever it is that they need to do. If it's, uh, for instance, like the example that you gave of mm-hmm. of the the light emitting from the fish, um, there's examples of. Um, Animals who 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 are, are predators, they need to go out and 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 hunt their prey. Yeah. Um, there's different abilities that they have. They might have speed. They might have. Um, um, uh, some animals have. Uh, um, uh, um, they they can um, camouflage mm. themselves. Yeah. Um, some uh, uh, animals in the sky, they can they can um, they can glide. They can fly. They can do whatever it is that they need to mm. to catch their prey. Um, and and I mean it's it's beautiful how how amazingly God Almighty has given us all these distinctions according to what we need, right? I mean, and that's yeah. why we call him Ar Rahman and Ar Rahim, isn't it? That the, mm-hmm. he is the most gracious, uh, the most uh, merciful, and the 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 difference between these two attributes um, is that the him being Ar Rahman, him being the most gracious. He has given us all of these bounties before uh, we even had to ask for them. I mean, before we were even born, he gave us the ability um, that uh, he, he made the environment such that uh, we, we, are, we are able to breathe in it. We are able to see in it. We are able to hear in it. We are able to use our senses and our faculties to the best of our, uh, our abilities because he is Ar-Rahman, because he is the most gracious. Mm-hmm. He's given us, we didn't have to ask for it. We, we, weren't, um, we weren't born and then we prayed to God Almighty that, uh, oh Allah, please grant us the, the ability to see or grant us the ability to breathe in this world. No, he, yeah. he gave it to us um, as, as a blessing. Yeah, just losing your sight, you know, it's, it's such a... For someone who has sight, yeah. he, he can't imagine a life without it. But you see people, they are, they're living a normal life, even though they, they can't see. So uh, God Almighty enhances their other uh, faculties, you know, the, the sense of hearing and uh, touch or smell imp- improves so much that yeah. they, they're able to, you know, tell something is... So, in in such a distance without mm-hmm. seeing it exactly. so it improves their other faculties so much and this is uh, another beautiful thing that you um in if you if you're lacking one thing god almighty has given you another thing to make up for it and uh, you know um it also um i also want to tell a story about how you were talking about the universe you know being created itself or by mm-hmm. accident there is a pious saint, a scholar of Islam called Imam Abu Hanifa, and he was going for a debate with with an atheist. Um, so he, there was a set time, and he was very late. And uh, the atheist said that, "How? What kind of um, belief do you have? You don't like if you want to, if you want to, you know, convert me to Islam, you mm. should come at least on time." Yeah. And he said, uh, um, "Imam Abu Hanifa he said that I apologize. Uh, I was on my way, and there was a river." in front of me and there was no way of crossing it so I had to wait and what I saw is that 
suddenly the trees were being cut itself mm-hmm. and they were being the planks were coming together by themselves yeah. and by themselves like a bridge was starting to form and slowly slowly it took a lot of time and then uh, after a few uh, hours maybe the bridge was built mm. and that's how was i was able to you know cross the bridge yeah. and come to you yeah. and the atheist says you uh, this is unbelievable how can a tree cut itself and yeah. form a bridge by itself and uh, you know how can this happen by accident exactly. <laughs> as you said exactly yeah so he answered that if you can't believe a simple bridge is made you know by accident or by by coincidence how yeah. can you believe this perfect universe this yeah. perfect system is created you know by accident hmm. there must be a creator for this yeah no, no definitely i mean it, it's 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 mind boggling um uh, when 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 you hear that uh, uh, people say that it was just created by chance isn't it i mean even if we mm-hmm. look at the earth the distance that uh, that it has from the sun um if we were any closer uh, it would be too hot and we wouldn't be able to to live in those conditions mm-hmm. if we were e- even a little bit further it would be way too cold uh, and we wouldn't yeah. be able to live in those conditions i mean it's just simple uh, very minute and subtle things uh, which which uh, if you put into perspective uh, you'll see that uh, it really is um uh, uh, it really can never be a coincidence uh, but of course yeah. this was the sheer will of god almighty that and the thing he, is this is this is prophesied in the holy quran exactly there's verses which which specifically point out that the sun and the moon they they can't shift their positions yeah. they're in a constant cir- cycle yeah yeah most certainly um and before uh, taking a, a break for the news one narration that i'd like to share um on the, uh, the from the holy prophet uh, may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him which is a golden rule for us is that don't waste water even if you're if you are by a running river um and that goes to show how important that is here's the eight o'clock news You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is 3 minutes past 8 on Tuesday the 13th of December 2022. If you are just tuning in, um we were speaking about the global summit what chances our planet has um in the first topic in the 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 first segment before the news and now we're going to be speaking about Gaia BH1 the discovery of the closest black hole to earth um we do have another segment uh in store for you let's call it a year what have we gained what have we lost uh, we'll be speaking about new year's resolutions as well um so that will be towards the end of the show um remember if you would like to get involved in any one of the topics in 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 any one of the discussions today then please feel free to do so the number for you as always is 0208687 and uh, of course you can tweet us and leave your comments on our instagram page at voice of islam uk 
Um, so discovery of the closest black hole to Earth. Scientists have recently discovered the closest black hole to Earth. Uh, and in this segment, we'll be um, unraveling the intricacies of uh, this discovery. And we'll also be discussing what this discovery means for the future. So the, 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 the incentive uh, in regards to this, we'll speak about what black holes are, how do they form, the different types of black holes, how many there are uh, in just a short while. But astronomers have discovered the closest uh, known black hole to Earth by using the International Gemini Observatory operated uh, by NS, uh, NSF's uh, Noir Lab. This is uh, the first uh, unambiguous detection of a dormant stellar mass black hole um, in the Milky Way. Its close proximity to Earth, uh, a mere 1600 um, light years away, offers an intriguing uh, target of study to advance our understanding of the evolution of binary systems. Um, but before we actually speak about uh, this in a bit more detail and, and get uh, in-depth um, information in in regards to this as well, um, Usman, can you tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about what black holes are to begin with, please? Yeah, so a black hole is, a, I think, is a perfect name for it. It's a place in a space where gravity pulls so much that even light cannot get out. So the gra- gravity is so strong because matter has been squeezed into a tiny space and, and this can happen when a star is dying for example uh, black holes can be big or small where the smallest black holes can be as small as an uh, atom but they have a large mass and black holes have three layers the outer and the inner uh, event horizon and singularity the event horizon is the boundary around the mouth of the black hole and light cannot escape past this the inner region of a black hole where the object's mass is concentrated is known as its singularity, which is the single place in space-time where the black hole's mass is concentrated. And uh, scientists think that the smallest black holes were formed when the universe began, so right at the start. Uh, There are different types of black holes. Uh, For example, the stellar black hole Um, mass can be up to 20 times more than the mass of the sun. They are made when the center of a very big star falls in upon itself or collapses. As a a result, this causes a supernova. A supernova is an exploding star that blasts parts of the star into space. Uh, The largest black holes are called supermassive. These black holes have masses that are more than one million suns together. And scientists think that they were made at the same time as the galaxy they are in, the Milky Way. Uh, a black hole cannot be seen because strong gravity draws all the light into the black hole's center. So, uh, probably most people know, but we see everything because of a reflection of light. Mm. If there is no light, then it doesn't matter how good your vision is, you won't be able to see anything. Uh, and this is why we can't see black holes without with a naked eye, because... It does not let any light um, outwards, which can reach our eyes, so we see that reflection. Um, And black hole... uh, Yeah, however, astronomers can observe how the black hole's strong gravity affects the stars and gas surrounding it. Scientists can around 
scientists can analyze stars to see if they are flying around or orbiting a black hole. High energy light is produced when a black hole and a star are near together. And human eyes cannot see this type of light. To see this type of um, light, scientists employ satellites and telescopes in the orbit. Mm. Uh, very interesting uh, um, uh, pieces of information that we've seen over here in regards to supernova, the galaxies, stellar black holes, um, and other such things as well, isn't it? I mean, um, it, it just it just goes to show and puts into perspective um, how how small we really are, isn't it? I mm -hmm. mean, if we look at the universe, um, it's such a, such a, such an amazing uh, thing to say, uh, uh, at least. Um, we're going to be speaking to our first guest um, in this regard. We do have with us on the line Robert Macy, uh, for a Royal Astro Astronomical Society, or the RAS. Robert started his career in astronomy in Manchester, studying the Orion Nebula, um, worked as a teacher in Brighton and spent eight years at the Royal Observatory in Greenwich where he developed an unbridled passion for uh, bringing astronomy and space science to the wider public. These days, he looks after the outward-facing work of the Royal Astronomical Society at a, as he is the de uh, Deputy Executive Director um, and enjoys the darker night skies of his new family home in Sussex. Um, Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for, for joining us, for being with us today. Um, we're speaking about the discovery of the closest black hole to Earth. And the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was, as someone um, uh, who's part of the uh, Royal Astro Astronomy Society, could you kindly explain to our listeners what the society is and what it does, please? Of course, yeah. So we're about 200 years old. We were founded, actually 202 years old now. We were founded in 1820. And what the society does is basically work to advance astronomy and also geophysics because we cover we cover the Earth as a planet as well. So what we're there to do is to represent astronomers in the UK, mostly professional astronomers, but we do have advanced amateurs, teachers, historians and writers on, in our membership as well. And we do things like convene scientific meetings. We fund a big uh, public engagement program because part of our charitable remit is to get the message out there, to explain it to the wider public. Uh, and, you know, that's the kind of thing we do. We give out grants to people to travel to conferences to do small pieces of scientific research. Uh, we also have a historic library with some fantastic resources. Uh, some of the books and materials we have are, I think, the earliest is the 14th or 15th century, incredibly old uh, materials. So that's the sort of thing that we do. Nice. And uh, could you tell us what a black hole is and how do astronomers find them? So a black hole is, if you if you uh, think about the life cycle of stars, now that stars last for billions of years typically, but there are, the, the higher the mass of the stars, so the more material they have, if you like, the more kilos they have, mm -hmm. uh, the faster their lifespan. Star like the sun maybe will last 10 billion years or so, but if you get very, very massive stars, so stars many times the mass of the sun, say, you know, more than about, I think the threshold is about 13 times the mass of the sun and above, so really huge things then their life is much more accelerated. They do the live fast, die young mantra. They consume their nuclear fuel in their centers much more quickly, and they run out of that more quickly as well. And the result is that the, at the end of their lifespan, instead of doing the kind of gentle death that our sun will do, they explode violently as supernova explosions. Now, these are uh, rare events. I mean, they have, they're happening you know, somewhere in the universe all the time, but uh, within an individual galaxy, they're fairly rare. 
But this event is so violent, it leaves behind um, enough mass in the centre in this shockwave that it collapses down into an object called a black hole. Now, what that means Mm -hmm. is that the force of gravity is so strong. This was a a, a fantastic discovery in in the previous century, but discovered by Einstein in 1915, was that gravity actually bends light. Okay, it distorts the very fabric of the universe of space-time. And when this object collapses into a black hole, it's impossible for even light to escape. Essentially, the, the escape velocity, the speed at which you need to travel to get out of it, is higher than the speed of light. So nothing can get out. Or, or well, I mean, actually, there are, there are exceptions in particular physics around this, but to, to a first order, nothing gets out, not even light. And that's why we describe them as black holes. That's amazing. I'm sure you're very keen on getting the message of astronomy across to many people. Uh, is there any advice you would like to give to anyone who is interested in astronomy and wants to make it a career? Yeah, I mean, it, it's very much a STEM subject, so a science, technology, engineering, mathematics subject. You know, get your math skills, get your physics skills in mm. order to do this. Um, those are the kind of things you need to study if you're doing this at school, for example. But what I would also say is that there are many paths through this as well. I mean, there are people working as space lawyers, teachers, and so on, uh, writers, or some of the occupations I've described. Um, and if you do embark on this and you do pursue a career in astronomy and space science, there are actually a lot of opportunities that follow from it. It's worth knowing as well that the UK has a space industry worth, I think, of the order of £10 billion uh, a year. You know, there's very high-value jobs there, too, very well-paid jobs. So there are lots of things that people can do. And, you know, I would say, if you're interested in it, just go for it. You know, uh, read up around it, um, concentrate on the science subjects of school, obviously. Uh, But, you know, look around for the opportunities. And we do, actually, the RAS itself, the Royal Astronomical Society, publishes a booklet called... uh, Sky High and Down to Earth. I, I really should remember the name of this, having been responsible for it, but it's on our <laughs> website. And if you look at that, then it gives you a whole range of career examples of, of people who've studied astronomy and gone on to do an absolutely really wide range of careers as a result. So, you know, what I would say is, first of all, definitely go for it. You know, study those, study hard, but also um, don't think of it as closing down options. It actually opens up not just the universe, but the whole world, a whole world of opportunities too. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is the biggest challenge in, in this career? Biggest challenge in uh, in pursuing the career? Um, I would say it's really, well, I mean, it's, it's a competitive field like many others, but, mm-hmm. you know, there are obviously jobs. People get to travel the world doing this. They often end up in employment in the U- United States, continental Europe, um, other parts of the world as well, you know, increasingly parts of the Middle East and uh, the Indian subcontinent, China and so on. So there are there are, and Australasia, there are actually, you know, good opportunities globally for this too. And it's an opportunity to travel, even if you, I mean, I say even, but if you get to do a PhD, even during a PhD, you get to travel the world and probably go to at least a couple of observatories and one or two international conferences as well. So it is a really interesting way to be plugged into a community of people doing this work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you very much, Robert. Uh, it was very nice speaking to you and thank you for your time. I uh, hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. That was uh, Robert um, Messi, um, who started his career in astronomy in Manchester, studying the Orion Nebula. He worked as a teacher in Brighton and spent eight years at the Royal Observatory Greenwich, uh, where he developed an unbridled passion for bringing astronomy and space science to the wider public. Uh, we will be speaking to our next guest, uh, Dr. Edward Bloomer, Uh, Dr. Edward Bloomer is an astronomer at Royal Observatory 
Greenwich and uh, currently works in the field of science communication as a planetarium astronomer at the Royal Observatory. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the breakfast show, Ed. Good morning, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm very well, and you? I'm great, thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, firstly that what is your role in the Royal Observatory in Greenwich and what made you de- uh, decide the, uh, to work for the observatory? Uh, well, currently I'm the public astronomy manager, which means that I am looking after the public program. We have uh, a huge range of visitors, uh, different audiences that come to the observatory looking for different things. And so we try and put on a program that's very varied, different activities, different things for people to see and uh, do. Um, so I'm I'm uh, part of the, the, the team that is managing uh, managing that. And I decided I wanted to work for the observatory because I was interested in uh, sort of bringing science to the public. That's what science communication is. Um, I come from a background um, uh, in research, um, but I decided that I was interested in communicating that uh, to everybody. And mm-hmm. at the observatory, we try and we really do try and reach everybody, from you know the youngest children to uh, adults of all ages. Um, and I wanted to be part of that. That's great. Uh, so we we are speaking today about the closest black hole discovered, the Gaia BH one. Um, sure. So on to the discovery of uh, the black holes. What is the significance of finding a black hole so close to Earth? Well, in a strange way, it, it's not that significant, but, but, but bear with me. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've discovered a black hole. Um, these are very difficult things to discover generally uh, unless things are falling into them. Uh, when things are falling into them, uh, the material that is falling in uh, heats up and emits radiation that we can see the black hole itself Uh, is essentially invisible to us. Um, Now, we know that there are lots of black holes. We've discovered lots of black holes, uh, certainly in the middle of galaxies, and we've got other black holes. Um, But strangely, it's not so much that this one is the closest. Mm -hmm. You know, there's got to be a candidate that's closest. It's more about that this is, this is, it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, I suppose. We're trying to fill in the, the, the pieces. We, we, every time we discover a black hole, we get a little bit more of a better picture yeah. of the overall picture, if you see what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to work out what the population is, how common are these things, how are they distributed. Um, and in particular with this one, um, it is in a binary pair with a star that is very, very like the sun. Uh, it's almost identical. In fact, it's a, a G2 B main class, uh, sorry, main sequence uh, class mm-hmm. star, uh, just like the sun. Um, so that's kind of interesting in and, in and of itself, I suppose. Um, so it's, it's, in some sense, it's not so much the distance, although that is kind of cool. Uh, it's, it's about how it fits into the overall picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, you did your PhD in gravitational waves data analysis. What is the link between these waves and black holes, uh, specifically this the, the Gaia BH1? Well, uh, gravitational waves are emitted by moving massive objects, uh, and they're incredibly weak. Um, and this is why it fits into astronomy, um, because we are not going to be able to generate them here on Earth. The masses involved um, are, are, are too significant, and that's where, by generally, we detect uh, gravitational waves uh, from things like black holes colliding with other black holes, and, uh, maybe some neutron stars colliding, and the, there are other candidates as well. But generally speaking, black holes being incredibly massive objects um, allow us to uh, make these incredibly, incredibly weak detections by the time the waves reach the Earth. Um, 
mm-hmm. in terms of the the, the Gaia black hole, um, well, it's probably not a very good candidate for a black hole. Uh, sorry, a big barn for a gravitational wave uh, detection, unless something mm-hmm. catastrophic happens. Um, because what we really want to do, that, I mean, actually, it's kind of interesting because what what's happening with the Gaia black hole is it's nothing, which doesn't sound interesting, but it sort of is. It's not really <laughs> feeding on anything. We observed it by looking at the motion of this star that mm-hmm. it's with the, the the sun-like star. So the the way it induces motion in that star um, is it, the way we discovered it in and of itself, the black hole is, is really not doing very much, which means that it's incredibly difficult to detect. Mm-hmm. And that means it's it's it's, it's likely to be a, a poor candidate uh, for um, a, a burst of, of, of gravitational waves because essentially it's sitting there quiet. It's, it's, it's very massive. It's, it's, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's almost 10 times the mass of the sun. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's a significant object in one sense, but in another sense, it's very, it's it's very very well behaved. Um, it's it's uh, and and uh, with gravitational waves, you kind of want things to be not so well behaved. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, another big question that uh, where where do the things go which go into the black hole? Well, uh, so that is a that is a good question. Um, so uh, the the. The answer sort of is that they just go to the, the, the centre of the black hole, the singularity right at the heart of it. Um, mm. In popular culture, there's, there's a lot of talk about things like wormholes and the idea that they lead somewhere, they lead to a different universe. But in fact, what happens is you, when things are falling into the black hole, they, they eventually get to the point where the gravitational uh, pull is so strong that not only does light... Um, well, essentially, it's so strong that light cannot escape that region. That's why mm-hmm. the black holes, because not even something like a photon of light could get out again. And you yeah. have this idea of that there is only one direction. No matter which way you're aiming, there's only one direction. That direction is inwards. Space-time itself is bent such mm-hmm. that you can only go right down towards the singularity at the heart. So there are sort of... Um, once you get close enough, unfortunately, they are, they are very much a one-way system, no matter, no matter your best efforts. Interesting. Thank you very much, Professor. Uh, sorry, uh, Dr. Edward Bloomer, for your time. Thank you for your insight on this. Uh, it was uh, great speaking to you, and I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was uh, Dr. Ed Bloomer, uh, who is an astronomer at Royal Observatory Greenwich and currently works in the field of science communications as a planetarium astronomer at the Royal Observatory. I mean, th- there's so much uh, to learn from when, when we're talking about such a vast topic, isn't it? Um, I mean, if we go to uh, uh, His Holiness, the current head of the worldwide he- uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azam Zamasul Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, um, he said in an interview for the Review of Religions on the occasion of the Existence uh, Project's launch, that we observe that the Holy Quran describes matters such as the Big Bang and black holes. The Qur'an makes numerous prophecies. Then the promised Messiah upon whom be peace made many prophecies. Many of these prophecies are descriptions and no one could understand at the time. Yet all mm. these prophecies continue to be fulfilled until today. And the world witnessed these prophecies coming true. Today we observe uh, many of these prophecies coming to light. And all of this tells us that there is some being. Whether one is Christian or Muslim or otherwise... These things tell us that there is a God. 
and God informed the prophets beforehand about matters that would come to pass. For example, God told the promised Messiah upon whom be peace that X and Y would come to pass and then it happened exactly as such. Many of his prophecies uh, that he made are still being fulfilled. Even astrologers, uh, astrologers predict things uh, about people by looking at stars. This demonstrates that there is some concept in people of this. The question is where do they get their knowledge from? You have to see what percentage of their predictions come true and what percentage of the prophecies of prophets come true. You have to uh, you have to compare the strength of the predictions of astrologers with the strength of the prophecies of prophets. And so there are many factors that need to be considered. Um, and I mean, uh, th th this, there's so many references uh, in regards to this as well. Uh, for instance, if we turn to chapter 3, verse 191, the Holy Quran, uh, it states, In the creation of the heavens and the earth and the in, uh, in the alternation of the night and the day, there are indeed signs for people of understanding. Mm. And those signs are actually mentioned in another verse in chapter 21, verse 105 in the Holy Quran. It states that remember the day when we shall roll up this heavens like the rolling up of written scrolls by a scribe. As we began the first creation, so shall we repeat it. So God Almighty is telling us again that there's also a, a, a um, sign to black holes actually. You know, the rolling up of something. The rolling up the heaven, what could this mean? So the black hole, is, I think, is a very precise um, reflection of this that it's essentially just rolling up the universe in itself yeah. uh, to, you know to to nothingness and uh, th then he uh, further states that as we begin the first creation so shall we repeat it a promise binding upon us we shall certainly perform it that uh, if god can create this once um he can create it again uh, so it is it is god is uh, the everlasting he it's up to him when he wants to finish this um, you know this life this process our universe and he, he has the power to create another one whenever he wants yeah yeah most certainly most certainly um, and with that we are going to be going to our next segment for the day let's call it a year what have we gained and what have we lost um, so as the year draws uh, to a close let us reflect on what we have ac uh, accomplished as individuals and as a society. But so too, as 2023 dawns, on <coughs> what we have learnt, how we can endeavour to become a better version of ourselves. So new year, new, uh, new resolutions, how much do we actually fulfil? Well, rationally speaking, the 1st of January should be no better than any other day to make a life change. So why put the needless pressure on ourselves to, let's say, upgrade our lives um, at the opening of a new mm. calendar? Well, recent uh, psychological research, however, suggests that there are many good reasons to begin a new regime on the first day of a new year. And by understanding and capitalizing on those mechanisms, we can all increase our chances of sticking to our new goals for 2022. And of these uh, involve, uh, one of these involves the fresh start effect. The available data shows that the overall success rate is higher than many might think. According to a recent YouGov uh, survey, 35% of people uh, who made resolutions um, managed to stick to all their goals 
uh, and 50% uh, managed to uh, of people managed to keep some of their resolutions mm-hmm. um and, and i think this this does depend from a place to place because i remember doing a show on this a number of years ago um and at that time the studies um that the the information that we got were from america mm-hmm. um and it and it was that only 20% of uh, of people actually um uh fulfill all of their goals that they set out in the beginning of the year or yeah. for their new year resolutions um and uh, by by february um at least half of them have have already sort of given up or, or stopped <laughs> um and, and 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 so yeah it, it i think it does depend from place to place um um uh, uh, obviously according to what the uh, the data mm. and the statistics show but it is essential for us to 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 bring about some kind of changes within ourselves isn't it like like we said in the introduction of this it's not uh, the day in itself is not any more significant than any other day um i mean we can we can make uh, a vow with ourselves that we're going to eat more healthy or eat less chocolate or exercise more yeah. or whatever it can be on the 20th of december it can be today on the 13th of december it can be mm-hmm. on the 15th of february it can be whenever right but uh, but but at the same time this this new year this 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 fresh start does give you some kind of extra motivation as well um mm. so it's not to say that we should we should take this too lightly of course we should make uh, some kind of resolutions um but well, what's what's your take on this i think it's it's uh, uh, sometimes when you see a group or you know masses doing one thing it's uh, makes it easier to do if you if you see you know your all your friends going to exercise together it just uh, encourages you and Uh, gives you a little push that you know why don't I go as well yeah uh, i think that's also a little factor that uh, there's so many people making uh, new resolutions and setting the aims for this year and some people m- might be doing this as a family that uh, we have some family goals we're going to be doing this doing that and that puts a little bit of responsibility on on that person uh, who is that family member that it, this this uh, aim or this target i'm setting is not just for me because it will have effect on my family it will it will be a so uh if you do it in a group for example th- there's this little pressure which can keep you going that i don't want to give up or i don't want to be the first one to you know give up on this this can also be a little factor but i think just making just setting a target just just having that that psyche to um set set a goal for yourself and then to follow it for the whole year uh taking this step on it on its own is uh, is is a very good sign that you want to change yeah uh and somebody i think who doesn't even take that step he's uh he's not he's, he's even he's going to you know not not go far mm-hmm. uh with his other resolutions so yeah that's it yeah i mean as as a human kind we we can never be too stagnant is it you can't stay in the same position um for for too long mm. whether it's uh, in regards to studies you always want to learn more and more uh, whether it's in regards to your workplace you always want to climb up the ladder um mm. whether it's in regards to any other goals or ambitions that we have we we're, we're always trying to progress uh we're always trying to get better and better and better and that's why there's a narration of the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him as well in which he said that no two days of a believer should ever be the same and and obviously uh, what this means is that every single day mm. you should be trying to do even more 
for the good of mankind to serve humanity for 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 your own self as well not just for for the people around you um but for your own self as well you should try to be the best version of yourself um more on this um from carol and <laughs> rice uh, who we do have with us on the line the real coaching uh, co life coach author and columnist uh, carol and rice um has been one of the uk's leading life coaches for 20 years um one of the first life coaches in the uk she is a, a published author of two books find your dream job and start your dream business um as the only coach in the uk to have a column in a national daily paper her happy monday column ran weekly in the daily express for seven years she is regularly featured in the national press the daily mail metro news the times of women uh, women and home glamour and grazia psychologies um good housekeeping amongst others and she was also a featured coach in sky bsb's a, a six-part series who'd be a billionaire she's uh, uh, the proud winner of the best coach award in the best business uh, women's award in 20 awards in 2017 she is md for the uh, of the pure coaching uh, academy um for nine years where she trains amazing people to become world-class life coaches as well assalamualaikum peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the breakfast show Thank you so much for asking me. It's delightful to be here. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you for for joining us for 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 being with us today. Uh, we're speaking about an important topic today, um, especially as we are coming towards the end of the year, and a lot of people will be setting out new goals, new ambitions, New Year resolutions for themselves as well. Um, the first question that we wanted to ask you was that the new year consists of creating resolutions and plans for the year ahead. How can we as individuals take steps towards self-reform and find inner contentment as well? Uh, it's a good question. Thank you for asking it. And yes, I think um, there are lots of, lots of steps you can take. And obviously, um, probably the, the statistics would reveal that some people don't hit their New Year's resolutions and don't hit mm. the goals that they set out for themselves in January. And there are many ways that you can um, stay on track. And not least is to really, truly want the goal. Um, if you want to, I like your, your description of self-reform. That's a really lovely way of putting it, or self-improvement, or to, to do better. Be very clear what it is that you want to change. Um, if it's a kind of foggy goal, like I want to lose a little bit of weight or I want to do a bit more studying, it's not very compelling. So make the goal really uh, special. Like I want to get super healthy. I want to take up an exercise. I want to be the best I've ever been. And that sounds better than I just want to lose a little bit of weight. Mm. If you want to study more or learn more, say I want to be the best at something. I want to improve uh, my knowledge and my outlook, which will give me better advantages in life. And I think it's how we phrase the New Year's resolution that makes it either compelling or a bit grey and flat. Yeah, definitely. Um, what qualities have you found in, in your clients that hinder them from being the best version of themselves? How can they well, overcome we, these hurdles? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, you know, the, the trouble is we start this in January and if we look out the window now, how cold and, mm. and grey and, and miserable it is, very hard time of year to start exercising or dieting or learning something new because the actual weather itself isn't really on site. But a yeah. really good thing, a really good thing to do is have a friend or a family, um, a relative to hold you accountable to say, okay, let's do this together. So because, you know, when we do things on our own, we can lose um, excitement and we can lose 
energy for it. Mm. If you had a friend or a really good friend or a good family member who says, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable. Every Monday we'll check in on an email or a text. How are you doing? What have you been, what are your wins this week? What do you need support with? I think if we know we've got somebody who believes in us and who is cheering us on, it's more, we're more likely to stick with it than we're trying to get through January, February on our own and easily mm. just giving up. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to briefly eliminate us on what inspired you to uh, be a life coach? Yes. Um, I do think, you know, while we're here on this wonderful journey called life, <coughs> it's important that we get the best out of life and also the best out of ourselves. And I always felt that to reach one's potential in life is a great goal. Um, again, as I said just now, we can't always do this on our own. So I hired um, a coach many years ago when mm -hmm. I had been made redundant from a newspaper. And I thought, I don't know what to do next. But, uh, maybe this lady can help me with some career transition. And it was probably so powerful and life-changing that I thought, well, you know, I would like to learn how to be the coach. I, I don't just want to be coached. I want to learn the tools and techniques mm. to keep the mindset positive, to achieve things that on your own you can't achieve and to get more, get more out of life, not just financially, but to be the better person, to overcome the bad days and the sad days, to know how to be resilient, to know how to accommodate change in life in a way that is uh, powerful rather than victimized by life. So, I, you know, once you learn to be a coach, you really do have the toolkit to keep you going um, psychologically and emotionally. Great. And any piece of advice for our listeners as well at the end? Yeah, I would say, you know, because we live in a country that is very cold, be very gentle with yourself as you go into the new year. Have your goals and dreams, but mm -hmm. be patient. Big change doesn't happen overnight. We have to be patient. We have to be manage our expectations. You're not going to lose a lot of weight quickly. You're not going to start a business straight away. It, everything takes time, but little baby steps, often and often, will get you there. So, you know, manage your, manage your goals. Don't expect overnight success. And keep taking the steps, and you will, if you if you really want it, get there in the end. That's some uh, amazing advice. Uh, thank you, Carolyn, for your thank time. Uh, thank, thank you for you. being with us today, and I hope You're you have a welcome. wonderful day ahead. Thank you so much. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. That was Carol Ann Rice, um, life coach, author, and columnist. Um, she's been uh, one of the UK's leading life coaches for twenty years. Uh, one of the first life coaches here in the UK, and she's published. Um, yeah, she's a published author of two books: "Find Your Dream Job" and "Start Your Dream Business." As the only uh, coach in the UK to have a column in a national daily paper, her Happy Monday column ran weekly in the Daily Express for seven years where she is regularly uh, uh and now she's regularly featured in national press um as well to share her 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 views on many different topics as well um and it, i mean it, there's so many different pieces of information that we've learned from there isn't it there's about uh there's setting realistic goals there's doing it with friends and uh, family members as well um so that you can check up on each other as well um and realistic goals as well isn't it so it's not things which are way too ambitious um but uh, in fact uh, things which can be achievable as well um yeah
We're going to be taking a short break from this topic. Um, as we mentioned in the introduction for today's show as well, um, we do have a special piece uh, uh, for today as well. Um, we do have with us on the line uh, Imam Raza Ahmed and Imam Safir Zardash, um, no uh, strangers to the show, of course, uh, missionaries of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, presenters here on the Voice of Islam radio station and part of the management as well. Assalamu peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Assalamu alaikum. Good morning, boys. How's oh, it going? Very good, very good. Alhamdulillah. By the grace of Allah, the Almighty, and yourself? Alhamdulillah, not too bad. Can't complain. Very good. <coughs> You're joining us from Abu Dhabi um, from a conference which is happening over there, isn't it? Uh, in regards to interfaith communities, right? Yes. 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 So if the IF20, yes. which is the interfaith, uh, G20 interfaith forum. Awesome. Um, and could you, uh, obviously today is the second day of the conference. Uh, could you give us a little bit of a recap of what happened yesterday, uh, day one of the conference? And, and what are your sort of thoughts and feelings? Have you learned anything new? Oh, yes. I, uh, <laughs> the, the amount of information that we have received and the people that we've spoken to, and kind of the networking and, and seeing the people from so many different parts of the world and the work that they're doing, I'm telling you, is, it is it is beyond imagination, beyond what we what we expected, mm-hmm. and very very inspirational. Yesterday, the, at the opening session, you had uh, different speakers um, who spoke about the role of religion, the role of faith within the communities that we live in, mm-hmm. and some of the things that were mentioned were the the, the role of spirituality that we need to come back. So different. Mm-hmm. Um, representatives, you had, you know, archbishops, you had the Grand Mufti here uh, from from the United Arab Emirates as well, and they were talking about what exactly we need to be focusing on if we want to move into a better direction. In one of the uh, things that uh, His Excellency Sheikh Abdullah bin Mahmoud ibn Bayah, who was one of the speakers, says that we need to focus on the on on, on the things that we have in common, mm-hmm. you know, the commonalities and what role the religious leaders can play and also one thing a very interesting you know very common thing very things that we we also mention on the voice of Islam is that go back to the original teaching go back to the whole scripture look for solutions and coexistence and you know one thing that we have in common is the common background in humanity and also focus on spirituality all of these things yes mm-hmm. we can get us to some point but we need to focus on spirituality and then they um, had uh, different talks as well and then you had breakout sessions so they were talking about refugees and how the refugee crisis can be controlled can be averted can be uh, dealt with you had one on food crisis uh, and then you dis- displacement and there was uh, so three in, in total about human trafficking as well so those were smaller breakout sessions and then they reconvened afterwards into the main hall again where again there was a it was a uh, open forum, an open discussion mm-hmm. where you had the opportunity to ask questions as well. But overall, I'm telling you, it was it was a very very unique experience. And the fact that these suggestions or whatever they come up with here, the talks that are held here, that this is presented to the G20 states, yeah. to the leaders, to the heads of nations, to the of the G20 states, that is something which 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 gives you hope that. You can have an impact. You can contribute 
to how uh, decisions are going to be made. Mm. I mean, and it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, like, for instance, what you mentioned um, from one of the speakers as well, this is exactly what uh, happened over 100 years ago now at the time of the, the Promised Messiah upon sure. Holy Peace, uh, when there was an interfaith uh, program at that time, a conference at that time. The Promise of Zai upon whom be peace, he said that it, we shouldn't be speaking about the, the, the negatives or the ills from other religions, but rather we should just be speaking yeah. about the commonalities yeah. and the, the positive things that our religion um, has to bring. And this is exactly um, what's being echoed at the, the interfaith uh, program over there as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it really is uh, and sounds amazing as well. Um, another question that we had for you was one of the topics for discussion today uh, is education. I mean, even in our... Uh, our breakfast show we were speaking about black holes and speaking about education and learning more and more about our universe as well Um, what is the importance of education in shaping one's well-being and future oh it's it's, it's huge Um, the context that they were talking about education here was the access to education how do you ensure access to education how do you deal with the denial of, ex- uh, of education in some parts of the world? So 1.1 billion kids at the height of the pandemic or during the pandemic, they were out of school. Now, of course, mm. not everybody recovered, as we've seen in the UK. You had schools that were up and running within seven days and, and some that took a bit longer. But that was within the UK, which is, again, it's a developed country. We don't have these issues that we have in other countries. But some countries' schools were shut, not for weeks, but sometimes for months as well. And that has a very, very, it's a, it's a domino effect, right? So even you know as a parent that if you don't send your kids to school for a week, how mm. far behind yeah. they get in, in, in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So what can faith communities do? What can faith-based organizations do? Or what is the role that they need to need to play to make sure that this breach of education or this access to education is guaranteed. So that was one of the breakout sessions that I attended and they were talking about these things, the religious literacy that needs to be there, the multi-religious mm-hmm. literacy that needs to be there. And how do you connect, which is, I think that, that was the issue that, that, were, that was being discussed. How do you connect the work and the role that faith-based communities and organizations have with the government where ultimately the funding will come from, where the, the network will be there because as big as and as efficient these faith-based communities can be, they still don't have the resources, they still don't have the impact and the power that governments have, right? So yeah. you can be running 20 schools in a country, but a country doesn't run on 20 schools. There's got to be more. And that's something mm-hmm. where the government comes in. So that is something that what they were talking about. And unfortunately, the the... the <laughs> One of the things that was said is that religious leaders, they or global leaders, are interested in two things: econ- economics or economy, and both. Mm-hmm. So, get that message across. It's it's a challenge. It's a bit tricky, but every child is entitled to it. Every education is not just about you know um, one set of beliefs, but to open that to the world. To have an open worldview, which Islam says, and you know, look, and, um, learn from other people, be respectful, be polite, be tolerant, and and peacefully coexist with, with each other. That's that's what uh, in a gist, in a nutshell. I mean, it's, it's almost a two-hour discussion, mm-hmm. but in a in a nutshell, the truth. 
something that was being discussed. So I had a mom's a feud with me here too, like yesterday. I was uh, passed over to him, and then you can ask him. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so, Imam uh, Safir, uh, what do you think is the importance of these interfaith dialogues in uh, tackling global issues? Yes, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you for uh, taking us on. Uh, just um, obviously reflecting on uh, what uh, Reza just mentioned, uh, all of these uh, sessions um, have been about global issues, so they talk about international issues that every, literally every country is facing. Mm. And um, I was in one session just now um, where the um, uh, COVID response, you could say, or the health issues that face uh, that that the global community faces, how to deal with that. So that that was the subject that was talked about. And of course, if we look at COVID-19, we know that. Throughout the world, um, it has affected the health systems uh, in such a way that many health systems are now up to a breaking point and, and really, really struggling uh, in trying to recover from that, in trying to promote and give uh, the, um, the facilities and the care that uh, they want to give to the people. Uh, that is really, really something that I think uh, major uh, global countries are, are are dealing with. Of course, here in the UK as well, we know how much pressure the NHS is under. But COVID has had a huge effect on the strain and ex, uh, you know extra uh, burden that has uh, become uh, now apparent on the NHS. However, um, talking about the global impact, um, you know what was uh, talked about was that uh, as as we see the healthcare system is very different from country to country. You cannot compare, for example, America, UK to healthcare systems in some countries in Africa or, uh, you know, in, in Asia or mm-hmm. in other parts of the world. It's different from country to country. They have different systems in place. The care quality is different as well. So the matters were discussed in a way that, look, how can we make sure, because one thing is, is, is clear, right? We, we all know that the human life is, is as important, uh, you know, uh, equally important, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where in the world you are as a human being, yes. you know, we're, we're all um, have to have basic needs and that's something that uh, that is very central to our teachings as well. Now, health should be a priority um, for, for everyone and uh, it, does, it should not matter, you know, uh, where you're from. So, but that is in, 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 in practical uh, terms is difficult because we are facing some very huge issues and uh, what was looked at was mm-hmm. that there is a lot of inequality through the world uh, with healthcare systems, and um, obviously not not everybody has the same opportunities. Um, people sometimes don't have means, um, or they cannot afford health healthcare. Um, so that 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 was the issue that was discussed. That maybe this is something that we well not maybe but this is definitely something that we need to look at um, as a global um, community. That how can we make sure that everybody's health is looked after? And that comes down to the point as well that health is reliant on on on, on having good education, having uh, uh, you know uh, not poverty. So if you have poverty, then that is going to affect the healthcare system as well. That is going to affect the people who cannot afford healthcare. So yeah. poverty, education, these are all integral to a to a good healthcare system. So that uh, I think um, everybody kind of you know put that point across that look. 
we need to make sure that we alleviate poverty, that we try to work towards uh, improving the you know conditions of people, because that will again give them a better health. That will help the global uh, healthcare um, care that can be given as well. Again, what we saw during COVID-19 was the um, also um, inequality in terms of access to medicine, inequality uh, in terms of access to PPE uh, and to vaccines ultimately as well. We know that you know developed countries they had access very easily to um, vaccines, but uh, you know poorer countries did not necessarily have that. So again, that is something that we as as uh, as a global community need to uh, focus on as well. But I think that's all um, I, I can say on this point. Uh, we do need to go to another session uh, to uh, to attend as well. So uh, I, I apologize for that. Yeah, but no, no. Uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Most um, definitely. Zakla uh, for, for your time and uh, a lot of uh, great pieces of information shared. Uh, we'll let you get back to your breakout sessions as well. Zakla uh, for that. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. That was uh, Imam Raza and Imam Safir, uh, like I said earlier, no strangers to the show, uh, joining the Interfaith uh, Conference, the IF20, uh, in Abu Dhabi, sharing their thoughts with us. Um, Coming back to the topic uh, at hand, uh, we spoke with Giselle Taraba uh, from Maitri Centre for Love and Compassion. Giselle Taraba has a double uh, master's, one in epidemiology and another in social work. She has worked in the non-for-profit field in leadership for over 14 years and is a mother of two beautiful children. She found self-love and self-compassion helped her heal her anxiety and panic attacks as well as uh, helped her overcome some childhood trauma as well. She's trained mindfulness and self-compassion teacher um, and this is going to take us all the way up until the end of the show. Jazakallah for being with us and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Giselle. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. I'm really grateful. How are you doing? I'm good. How about yourself? Good, thank you. Um, So first of all, I want to ask, many of our youth feel discouraged in life due to potential poor upbringing in view of COVID and the general economic and political state of the world at the moment. Having worked as a children's social worker, what advice can you give in light of the imminent new year? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, First, I just want to point out that it's very normal to feel afraid. Um, So they're not alone. Many people feel this way, not just young people. Uh, Young people have the additional challenge of having social media, which uh, can feel really, really overwhelming. Um, so my, my first advice would be for young people, especially now and in 2023, is to be kind to themselves, to be more loving to themselves, to treat themselves as they would their very best friend. Because so often young people give away their power to other people to determine how they feel about themselves. And so practicing self-compassion is really, really important, especially when you're really afraid. And so that would be the first thing that I would say um, is going to be really, really helpful for young people in managing their mental health. Um, the second one is, um, and this is this can feel really challenging, is stop giving into the fear. Because what happens is when we are afraid, we basically we contract. Uh, our vision kind of, you know, narrows, we, and we stop seeing all the possibilities and all the good in our lives. Um, and unfortunately, our current society's main driver is fear. Um, but the truth is, it need not be. 
of facing our fears and seeing that it's fear is not real. It's on the other side of that fear is actually your freedom. And so helping ourselves through the practice of self-compassion and self-love through meditation and mindfulness can help us manage that fear and can help us actually take risks, which are the keys to living our dreams. The last thing, which I think is really kind of the most pivotal thing to do in the new year is to go inward. We have so become so separate from our true selves. And I think this is why we see the world that it's in the shape that it's in, because we become so separate from ourselves that we rely on other people to tell us how we should feel. When really we have an inner wisdom, an inner compass, a higher self, a soul that knows what to do and knows who we really are. And so doing anything in the new year or now until the new year and on um, to help us go inward is really, really helpful. It's about quieting our thoughts and not allowing those thoughts to kind of lead us. Many people that, that I work with have anxiety and anxiety is just basically your mind running amok and it's, it's too much future, worrying about the future. Um, and so really staying in the present moment is where your true power is. From the present moment, we can make good choices. We can move forward. We can see all of the opportunities. And young people, I should tell you now more than ever in the world, it's, there's so much opportunity, so much opportunity to live our dreams, so much opportunity to turn things around, not only like just in terms of the world, but in terms of relationship, in terms of relationship, even with ourselves. And so I encourage you all to not miss this opportunity to really, really focus on being loving to yourself, not giving into the fear and really going inward. Thank you. So you spoke about self-compassion and um, understand you speak a lot about that in your Love and Compassion podcast with Giselle. Could you please enlighten us on your inspiration behind it? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so I wanted a, a place where I could have conversations and difficult conversations that brought us closer together instead of tearing us apart. What I see a lot in society nowadays is this whole cancel culture. We're so quick to cancel each other and to say, no, you're wrong or you're just as wrong. And, and so, and, and I understand it. It really is an attempt to find balance. Before we used to cancel people that were victims, we silence them. Now we silence the people that are oppressors. And so the, the, it's, it's, now we're trying to get an attempt to find balance. And so in my experience, my personal experience, and also in the people that, in the people that I know, love and compassion really are the way to get us to come truly together. And so I've had conversations with people, people that have, you know, forgiven, uh, you know, people that killed their children. Uh, in my New Year episode, I talked to somebody who's left white supremacy because people that he did not expect would be kind to him, showed him kindness and shown him love and the unconditional love from his children. And so he realized that hate is not the way. And so I have so many of these conversations as well as conversations on how to be more loving and compassionate towards ourselves. Because I really do think that that's the answer to us creating a more loving and compassionate world. First, we start with ourselves and being able to hold space for all of those things that we don't like about ourselves, the shame, the guilt, all those uncomfortable emotions. And when we can give to ourselves that which we are looking for externally, 
we can then open up and get curious about other people, curious as to why they act in ways that sometimes are hurtful, sometimes is just very negative. And then we can understand them better. And once we understand each other, then we can lean in and work together and be more appreciative of one another. And isn't that ultimately the goal to create a society and a world that is more loving and compassionate? So I created this podcast to have those conversations, to have conversations about how we can have more love and compassion when we're talking about racism. How do we have more love and compassion when we are challenged ourselves and experience shame and we experience challenges um, in order so that we can inspire people to have those conversations at home and to start to see themselves and other people differently. Thank you. So what services can our listeners access at your Maitri Centre for Love and Compassion? And while you're at it, could you mm. please explain what is meant by Maitri? Yes, thank you. Um, it actually means loving kindness in Sanskrit. And I wanted to find a word that encapsulated what we're trying to do at the centre. We're really trying to, um, because from our perspective, People are truly loving and compassionate at their core. At the core, this is who we are. And you see it in babies when they're first born. They just want to love and be loved. That's all they want. And they, they live their lives in such awe and such, you know, such brightness. Everything is amazing to them. But what happens is over time, they start to learn all of these things that get them away from themselves and get them away from being that loving and compassionate being. They start to protect themselves. They got to be in fear. Um, and so for us, the work that we do at Maitri is about unlearning, unlearning a lot of the messages so you can be more of yourself, which is that loving and compassionate being. So we do coaching and we do workshops. Uh, we offer, you know, the podcast and blogging. We're offering as, as well as a community. I'm putting together a community of all the people that I work with. Um, so that we can come together and build this loving and compassionate community that in turn can help create a, a more loving and compassionate world. And so our, our goal really is to help people be more of themselves. It, and I'm a big supporter of that. Anything that helps you go more inward to listen to your inner voice is amazing. Please do that. <laughs> because I really do believe that once we start to tap into that loving compassion for ourselves, that's what helps us do that for other people. We are so busy trying to give people from our empty bucket that that's why we feel like there's caregiver burden. That's why we feel so overwhelmed by people. When really what we want to do is we want to give people from our overflow, not from our reserves. Thank you so much. That was some great stuff to consider for the new year. And our listeners can obviously follow you on your website as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to share my perspective. And I hope that it, it's been helpful for your listeners.